Anyone have my problem? That song, I think, it's, I think is really great. Everyone should bow before the lion and the lamb. Everyone, you know, etc. That one. This has nothing to do with the talk, but I find a week later it's still going through my head. And there's songs like that, aren't there? They kind of go through your head. And so as we started it, I thought, right, we're going to hear in this in my head. When, when I'm in repose, when I'm just having a bit of quiet, suddenly I hear, not again. And so the songs kind of stick in your brain like that. You know, I say I think it's a great song. I probably do get fed up by the end of the week. Anyone else like that? Another one. Another one. Well, I do, I do, and then it comes back. It's horrible. So anyway, if you don't, you will now. I've got a couple of hefty chunks of scripture I want to read first, but just to explain, we are now looking at a different subject. We've, uh, we've done holy, so we're all holy, okay? Um, I can see that. You're glowing with holiness. We'll no doubt visit holiness and everything another time again, but we thought we wanted to look at a completely different subject, different way of doing things. We're going to look at um, scriptures. We're going to go through Joshua, um, the book of Joshua, and a little bit further on after that into Judges, about the Israelites going into the promised land and settling there and the things that happened to them and the things perhaps that they needed to do, the things they should have avoided, the things they did avoid, the things that happened to them. Today's the first one, and I'm going to look at reconnoitering the land. Okay, So we'll look at reconnoitering the land in a minute, but I want to read a fairly hefty chunk of Scripture. I'm going to read... Joshua chapters 1 and 2, all right? So bear with me, but take it in, because we're going to revisit those and pull out maybe half a dozen points. It won't be, uh, it won't be too long. Ha. Okay. So Joshua 1.1. 1, 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all the people get ready to cross the River Jordan into the land I'm about to give to them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert of Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep the book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. But the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the command that Moses the servant of the Lord gave you after he said, The Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. They had settled on the other side of the Jordan. They found the land was good, but on the basis that they would go and help the rest of the Israelites to conquer 
the promised land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that God gave you east of Jordan. But all your fighting men, ready for battle, must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. You are to help them until the Lord gives them rest, as he has done for you, and until they too have taken possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan, towards the sunrise. Then they answered Joshua, Whatever you have commanded, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you may command them will be put, whatever you may command will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Now to chapter two. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent his message to Rahab, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because, we have, because they've come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they'd come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly, you may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road and, and that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of Jordan, whom you, both, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts sank and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will, you will spare the lives of my father, my mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, Go to the hills so that the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now the men have said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land and you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down and unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible for those who are in the house with you. Their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. Sorry. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath we made us, you made us swear. Agreed, she replied, let it be as you say. She sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. When the two men started back, they went out of the hills, forded the river 
and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into your hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Okay, we'll look at the passage in, in, in a, a, a few areas in, in detail a little later on. Now, first of all, I wanted to uh, define re- what reconnoiter means. Anyone? Give me a reconnoiter. To see without being seen, yeah. That's a good one, actually. I haven't got that down, but that's a good one. <laughs> to know ahead of time. To know ahead of time, yeah. To, yeah, to seek out. Anyone? To a reconnoiter. Hmm. I thought reconnect. Not really. It's, it's a, it comes from a French word, which is now obsolete, which is reconnoiter. Um, <laughs> I took the definition out of the dictionary, the Oxford Dictionary, and there was a bit more as well. But, yeah, to make a military observation of a region, right? It's really a military word. To survey, make a reconnaissance or explore, scout out, make a survey of, make an observation of, find out the lie of the land, investigate, examine, and spy out. And that's what we're looking at today. What happened beforehand, the reconnoitering of the land. So we'll go through in a moment. Now... We're saying the land. I've got some scriptures here um, which won't come up, and I don't know if you can read them, so I'll, I'll read them out here. Is this the promised land? For us, I'm talking about. For them, it was the promised land. They were taking it over. Is this just for the Jewish people? Is this for us as Christians? What do we mean when we talk about the land in the, concept, the, con- sorry, in the context of us? What land are we taking? That which God planned for his kingdom. Yeah. Is it a physical land? Could be. Some scriptures from Hebrews. In Hebrews 11, the writer is going through all of the, uh, the people who live by faith. And we come to this uh, near the end of the chapter. Um, sorry, actually in the middle of the chapter. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, and he has prepared a city for them. Later on it says, I've missed out some chunks to make it a little shorter. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous, made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better word than the blood of Abel. And then finally... Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and fear, for all God is a consuming fire. And I think there are other verses as well that, that for us, yes, heaven is our promised land in that context. In other contexts, Israel or the land of Palestine or whatever you want to call it is part of that. It's got that picture as well. But What it is, it's about 
the kingdom of God now and the coming of Jesus. Jesus is our promised land. And it's moving into the things of Jesus. It's extending the kingdom. And they can be things that we do together. You know, we're looking for a building. We're praying about the old library and we know the difficulties there. Not the old library, sorry, the the co-op. We know the difficulties there. So that's maybe something together. But other things together as a church where we go for the next 10 years, you know, um, what, we're, what we're doing, how, what shape that will be. What do you want us to do, Lord? It's about knowing God's will and knowing his will individually as well for our lives. There are things we need to do. There are, things, there are goals we need to have. And those goals are not just goals which are, may, are necessarily physical, though they may involve physical things. So it might be that um, Steve's got to get super fit for his run, but the Lord's got something in that for him. You know, he's, he's teaching him some discipline or something within that. It could be that we have a, some part of our lives, like a bad temper or, or something that keeps going wrong or things that affect us from the past. And our goal, our promised land, if you like, in the short term, is to overcome those things, is to move into those things and conquer the land and claim it for God's kingdom because the kingdom is not just outside us. The kingdom is within So it can be a whole myriad of things, but they are God-centered and they are based upon what Jesus has done for us. So I want to say that right at the beginning to put those definitions in there, particularly of the land. The land is what the Lord is putting on your heart to move into, take hold of, conquer, and hold for him. And that can be internal, it can be external, it can be long-term, it can be after we've died, it can be in the here and now. But it starts in the here and now, and it starts where we are. You know that old um, joke about the guy who went down to, in rural Dorset, stopped his car because he was lost, and he says to, the, uh, to an old farmer, he says, how would you get to Dorchester? And the guy scratches his head for a while, and he said, Whoa, wouldn't start from here. <laughs> but a lot of us try to do that. We start from where we're not. You know, we think we're in some place. And we have to be honest and open with the Lord and say, here I am, this is me, I'm weak, I can't do this stuff. But in your strength, I can. And in God's strength, we all can. We have different things. And that's uh, different things depending on our makeup, upon our experience, our constitution, everything. And so that's why we should never judge one another because someone may have come from a long way back compared to you. And they've done tremendous things in their lives. But the Lord's been so gracious to all of us. We shouldn't be looking and judging other people about what the Lord's doing in their lives. All right, let's have a look again at some of the, uh, the details in the passage. First thing is, remember what God has promised. Okay? The first thing that God does is, He reminds Joshua of all the things that he had promised them through Moses. Now, it must have been very daunting for Joshua. He'd been around as Moses' sidekick for 40-odd years. Moses was very old. He died. And then, (laughs) this is quite quite interesting, actually, because he dies in the the previous book, and uh, right in the last chapter, I think chapter 34, Moses dies, and the Lord buries him. And you get that. And then we get to the start of, um, 
of, the cha- of, of chapter 1 of, of Joshua. And it says, After the death of the servant uh, Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. It's almost like, oh, I hadn't heard. Moses had died. Big vacuum. Have you ever taken over from someone who's been the leader of a church, the boss, suddenly, you know? I remember once coming into work, and the boss had been arrested. There were three of us there, and I was the youngest. And our director, I was working for the government at the time, so uh, I won't tell you what happened, but the boss never came back. There was some financial thing. Anyway, he says, we've got 400 staff. You three have them split between you, and this is the, the boss. I'd only just got the new job been promoted from being one of the 400 staff. And um, there were three of us. One guy was near retirement, and he said, well, you're the guy. And he goes, nah, I don't want to do that. He said, I'm near retirement, I can't be bothered with the, I don't want to do it, I don't have to. And then he looked at the other guy, and he said to him, I'll change his name, he said to him, Charlie, you look after the telecommunications. You've had the telephonists out on strike for, the, for three times in the last year. There's no way you're doing it. So it's a case of the other two step back, and I was there. And I was the boss, and I stayed the boss for the rest of the time I worked, worked there. But tell you what, suddenly the enormity of it weighed on me. I'd not long had the one job. Suddenly I was having the other job, temporarily at first, but then he never came back. And suddenly I feel, I don't know what I'm doing. The sense of panic inside, the sense of... This is enormous. Can you imagine what it's like for Joshua with six million people? Hey, Joshua, the book didn't stop here, but now it does, mate. Uh, you know. And he was, what, 80? I was only 24. So that can be a real weight. It can be in lots of things. Again, you know, uh, say church leadership suddenly parachuted in or something happens and you're there, or you just, you know, you've become, somebody applies for a job as a minister or something, but then suddenly it's hit, you know, you're responsible for leading the flock or whatever. That's an eternal thing. So, you know, lots of responsibility. And you see that through the Bible, different people um, who the Lord puts on. And the first thing that goes, whoa, no way. Even Moses was the same right at the beginning. They kind of grew into the job. It can be, as I say, a very daunting thing. But you have to remember God's promises. And it's God that's doing it. It's not us. We have to really go back and rely on them. Does anybody here write down promises God's made to them? I do. It's great to review them, to look back and say, wow, I couldn't see the working out of that at the time, but 10, 15 years later, maybe six months later, whatever, you suddenly see, wow, that really was what the Lord was saying. I'd, I'd recommend, if you get words from the Lord, some of them will be a bit dodgy, you know? Some will be someone's enthusiasm or your own misinterpretation. But I tell you, you listen, you hear what the Lord's saying, or you know, speaking to you directly, speaking you through other people, circumstances. Note them down and then review them. And it won't necessarily be that every one of them is spot on, but you will see a trend. You will see a theme. You will see the Lord speaking constantly to you and review those. So that's what the Lord does with Moses. He reviews all of the things that Moses had been promised and he said, these are yours. You're leading the people in. You're the next phase. Moses needed to stay 
outside the promised land. But you, you're going to take the people in. And don't forget, there's also been a kind of failure about 40 years before. That was probably in his mind as well. I will give you every place you set your foot as I promised Moses. And that's our promise as well. The Lord will give us every place that we set our foot. I believe that goes with us. I believe that that goes with us in the workplace, when we're out and about in town, we're in schools, clubs, wherever we are. We take the Lord with us. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the kingdom of God within us. And every place we put our foot, the promise is we take the Lord with us and that belongs to us in the sense of the Lord rules there because we take him with us. All right, second one. Have the strength of your convictions. I like this because I love the smile on the baby's face. I'm sure it's only got wind, but that's us. That baby is us. And we need the Lord to support us. We need to be that little baby being held. Yeah? Fine. And we need to have that conviction. We need to know that the Lord is there with us. It's all right with the promises, but when we have to start acting on those promises, when we have to start moving into the promised land, losing the weight, or... Doctor told me I have to lose some weight this week. That's why it's on my mind. They, uh, or they won't operate on my knees. When we're moving into the land, we have to have that conviction that we're going to succeed, even if we have the setbacks. Yeah? So we have to know that that baby that we feel like, that little newborn baby, all naked and vulnerable, that the Lord is holding us like that. So what does the Lord say? Well, he says this to him. Be strong and courageous. Our Lord does that quite a lot through the scriptures. He calls people mighty warriors who think, me? You know? Be strong and very courageous, he says in the next verse. And then two verses later, he says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. I think he was trying to press a point home. And that's what the Lord's saying to us. Be strong and courageous. We were talking to a house group about encouragement on, on, uh, on Wednesday. And how, you know, you think of encouragement as, you know, helping one of the It's bringing courage to people, isn't it? It's making them emboldened to be able to do what they're doing or encouraged that what they've done has been right and do more of it. So it's about encouragement, giving courage to people. Be brave. You can do it. So first of all, we've got the Lord giving us the promises. Then we have to really believe that he's going to act on our behalf. He's going to support us because we can't do most of those things on our own. He designs it that way because he needs to, he needs to have the glory. He, he has to have the glory. Not he needs it. Not that he's you know, some sort of narcissist or something like that. He is the one who rightly all the glory belongs to. And we shouldn't be taking any of it. So he chooses the things that we're weak in. It says that. God chose the weak. So that the proud and boastful and the ones who think they're something in this world might be ashamed. And that he might get the glory which is due to him. If you're good at something, that's great. Do it to the best of your ability. 
But the Lord will push you beyond that, believe me. But if you're not good at something and the Lord tells you to do it, and be sure the Lord is telling you to do it and it's not just some fantasy of yours, which is always good to check with other people, be in that company, and listen. But push through. If you're convicted that that's what the Lord wants for you, push through because he will support you. You will get there. And you'll be tested along the way. And then, just to, um, to, to emphasize it, Joshua's telling the people, and what's their response to him? They're saying, you know, we're going to go into the land. You know, they've marched around for 40 years. All the old moaners have died off. And there's just the group of, that were, weren't born or were just born um, when they tried the previous time to go into the land. And they answered Joshua, only be strong and courageous. That's interesting. He'd heard that from the Lord, and then he heard it from the people around him. That's a good way to go. If you hear something from the Lord, particularly if it's something that's life-changing type of thing, it's good to check it out with the people, with the other people that know you and love you. Anyway, that's what he did. Right, next, prepare for action. So what did Joshua do? Much encouraged, spoke to the people. He sent the guys around saying, guys, three days' time, we're going into the promised land. Right? However million of you, you need to pack up. Can you imagine that? Six million people. How long does it take to pack your house if you're moving house? They've got six million people who've been in the same place for quite a while. You know, they've been kind of camped there, um, waiting. They've been wandering around, but when they wandered around, you know, with six million people, if, I think that's the number anyway, children, kids, and all that which left Egypt, it's a, it's a lot of, and also the number that have been born in the meantime, um, it's a lot of stuff, a lot of people, camels and whatever else you've got, donkeys, baggage, tabernacles, all that kind of stuff, to sort of lift up in three days and say, okay, off we go. But hey, guys, we're going. Get prepared, get ready, get the fighting men out. So he went round, and it says he ordered the officers, in verse 12, uh, so Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, we're going to cross the Jordan here and go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. He had the confidence. He didn't say, perhaps we'll do this. Maybe we're going to do that. He knew what the Lord had said, and he was going for it. Joshua then did something which I think is very important. Apart from prayer, apart from preparing, apart from relying on the Lord and all that good stuff, he sent spies. He wanted to check out the lie of the land. Now, do you remember Moses did the same thing? I thought it was interesting, actually, just a side point. Moses sent 12 spies, one from each tribe. By the time we got 40 years later, how many spies does he send? Joshua. Two. Still 12 tribes. All right, nine and a half and two and a half, but still. Well, I think that's, I think when they left Egypt, they were 12 tribes. By the time they'd gone around the desert and had to work together, they were one people. I think that's important. When we go into the land, particularly when we're doing a corporate thing, we go as one people. 
We don't go as tribes. You know, however you want to split that. We go as one people. So we have to be as one. The Bible emphasizes, particularly the New Testament, emphasizes oneness, doesn't it? So we go as one, one people. We don't dissent, but we're open. We discuss things, what's good, what's bad, etc. But we go as one people. Anyway, it says, Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go over the land, he said, especially Jericho. Now, those two spies, as we heard in the story, appeared to me to have gone to a prostitute's house, stayed there while the heat was on, then climbed down the walls and spent three days hiding in the hills. Right? They were due to move out in three <coughs> days. So time was getting a little bit short. And then they headed back. Now, the original lot of spies, how long did they spend? 90 days or something? Wandering around, up and down, and gathering grapes and seeing all sorts of things. It's almost like they didn't need to go. They did need to go because they heard that Jericho, the first place they were going to, they'd heard enough. They knew that the people were scared of them. They knew that the people had heard their reputation. They knew that they had beaten the Amorites and they moved across the land and they knew they were sitting there, right, waiting to come across the Jordan at this point. I don't think they needed to do much spying, actually. What they needed to hear was the truth, that the people in that huge walled city of Jericho, which was guarding that road across the Jordan, were actually trembling at the knees and thought they had no chance. So they go back to Joshua and they tell him. There's a couple of scriptures, there's a few scriptures actually in, uh, in Luke, I'd like to share with you at this point. You see, Joshua would be sort of preparing militarily, preparing his people, getting everything ready. And it says, Jesus said this uh, in, in Luke 14. Um, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, will he not send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace? In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. God is asking for total commitment, right? He's saying, weigh it up. Yeah, I think these verses are, are not just about backing off and saying, oh, well, we haven't got the resources, we can't do it. These are saying, that's what the world does. You've got me, and me and you together is bigger than anything else. These spies already knew. I think they knew the second they went into Jericho that this is a place we're going to be able to take. And they didn't go on about the giants in the place. They didn't go on about, you know, the others said, oh, it's a great place, really wonderful. However, the people are a lot bigger than us. We ain't got no chance. And we were in our own eyes as ants. Nothing about that from these guys. Yeah, we can do it, no problem. We've been, had a three-day holiday, fantastic. Yeah, by the way, don't destroy the place with the red thread. That was it. So off they went. Now, a thing that may be obvious to you, 
is this. The enemy will try and stop you. They knew. They knew what the Israelites were up to. You've got masses of people on the other side of the Jordan just waiting to come across. They were in a very high walled city. They could probably see them. I can see the start of them. I can't see where they finish. They'd be all over the place. It was obvious. And, you know, generally speaking, though he's not like the Lord, he's nothing like the Lord in terms of his power and his ability, the enemy knows what you're up to, particularly when you start moving, particularly when you start praying about it. He's not deaf. All right? He's not a mind reader. He doesn't know your thoughts. But he's kind of quite good at working stuff out. He's limited, but he's quite persistent. But you can be more persistent than he can. Because that's what the Lord says. Resist him, and he will flee from you. But the enemy does know what you're up to. And he will try and stop you. Because he doesn't want the glory to go to God. He doesn't want the kingdom to be expanding in your life or in the lives of others and the world round and about. Because this is his domain, he thinks. So he's going to resist you as much as that. You probably won't get a piece of wood broken over your head, but who knows. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites are coming here tonight to spy out the land, which is why he was after them. You know, he knew they were there. What are they up to? Oh, spy, let's chase them. And they searched for three days, looking for them. So the enemy knows. And he will resist you but we have better resistance we have the resilience that the Lord gives us and the final point I want to make is this be real and be true so first of all be real and that reality if you believe in the Lord if you believe in God if you put your trust in him then you put your trust in him you can rely upon he is as real as the floor I'm standing on more so it's just made of atoms and it could give way any time. But the Lord is real. He's here. It's just that we don't see him with our senses sometimes. We don't always think on about him because he dwells where he dwells. And we're stuck in time and we're stuck in the physicality of our places and our bodies and wherever. But he is as real as real can be. So we have to dwell in reality. And I'm talking about the reality of the kingdom, the reality of the Lord, the reality of what Jesus has done for you and me. And we have to remember that. And we also have to be real in terms of what we're going to come up against. Joshua didn't just say, to start off with at least, we'll just walk in and worship the Lord. Actually, they did in the end, walking around the city, gave the shout. But they still had the weapons when they had to go through the walls. And they still fought it's a mixture of both. We've got to be real. We've got to be prepared. We've got to know what's going on there, all these things. And we've got to be truthful. There are certain things, which are some things we shared the other week about stuff we're not prepared to do because they compromise our principles. There are things that, there are ways we will not do things because we're Christians. We won't use the ways of the world. We'll use God's ways. So we have to be truthful or we have to be true and we have to be real and situations we meet against you know lord that's just so big 
that Jericho wall. I mean, so big, the prostitutes live in the walls. They can drive chariots around the top of it. I can't see how we can knock that down. That's the reality. And that's the Lord says, yeah, that's reality. But the other reality is this, I can. So it's the truth and it's the reality of it, you know. We try to do things a lot. I, I do, I keep falling into this trap and I, I always come back to have to do it the Lord's way. I think sometimes I do it quicker than I used to, which is part of the progress. So by the time I'm about 510, I should be more or less there. Just turn to the Lord first. Do the things he tells you to do. There's no point paying. You know, I do have, just as a personal illustration, I do have some bad knees, um, which need an operation. And the practicality of it is that they, they said to me, well, I could get your BMI down, they, which basically means losing weight because I can't grow any taller. <laughs> and I've tried. And they thought I was an inch shorter than I think I am. Uh, the, the truth is that I, I need this operation. I've, and I've been praying and been asking the Lord to take the pain away and do this miracle and all that. And the truth is, the Lord said, no, I want you to lose weight. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. You've got to lose three stone. Oh. Well, and the good news is, lost half a stone this week. Bad news is, if I just act normally, I'll put that straight back on next week. So anyway, but it's a start. It's a start. It's encouraging. Uh, be, be courageous. Yeah. So every Sunday morning, you can, you can check up. I don't mind checking up. I have said this up here before, but I mean it this time. And I really do. And, you know, the Lord picks us up. We fail. And he says, that's all right. The only sin is failing to get up again. Be real and true. Just to summarize, reconnoiter in the land. Entering the promised land. This is the whole thing that we're doing. So we'll get this for the next five weeks, I think. Remember what God has promised. Yep. Have the strength of your convictions. Know that the Lord is going to support you. Know that he's going to do it. Prepare for action. You know, you're sitting there and saying, well, God's going to do it all. If you're going to go in the promised land, you've got to go into the promised land. You know? If the Lord says you're going to be this, that, and the other, you've got to start doing it. You've got to start putting yourself in the way of that great prophetic ministry. Or if you're the apostle to the nations... Best get started. You know, can't do it from the armchair. Check out the lie of the land. Know where you're going. What are you going to do? You know, if you're going abroad, get a passport. Good help. Do I need a visa? What's the foreign currency like? Do people kill you there? You know, that sort of thing. The enemy will undoubtedly try to stop you. All right? Some people... That's a bit of a bugbear. Just got to say this. I know the kids coming in, but just give it one minute. Some people have an opinion that if you're being resisted, then that's great because the enemy doesn't want you to do it. But other people have the position that if you're being resisted, then the Lord doesn't want you to do it as he'd make the way easy for you. Do you know what? It's neither. It's about knowing what the will of the Lord is and pushing through. It's not about the circumstances, because other people would say, well, it's obvious that the enemy doesn't want you to do it, so that's why he's resisting you. Or other people would say, well, it's really easy, because the Lord wants you to do it. 
You can get any number of opinions, and you can't make a theology out of that. The theology is this. Know the Lord, know his will, and then push through whatever the circumstances and attribute to the Lord of the enemy what you like. But in the end, if the Lord said do it, he will do it, you know, and he will help you to do it. So don't look on the circumstances. Of course, we're in circumstances, and we have to encourage one another, yeah? So let's do that. But thinking about the circumstances and things, don't attribute to anyone. Who sinned, said the disciples, this man or his parents? And the Lord said, neither. This is for the glory of God. You know, that's for all of us. And finally, be real and be true. Amen. Thank you, Lord.